know, rejection is there and you just have to become so strong that it doesn't affect you personally. And I've never gone through the front door. So that's one thing about my entire journey. It's always been through a side door, a back door, the roof. You know, it's always been, how do we get in to what we want to do? Maybe through a different door, not necessarily like what everybody else is doing. Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. I want to welcome this week's guest, Shalini Vaguera, to our show today. Shalini is a beauty entrepreneur, celebrity makeup artist, best-selling author, and founder of a multi-million dollar global cosmetics company that started from her garage. Shalini's journey was far from easy. Although her business scaled and found instant success in large retailers like Sephora and QVC, she lacked mentorship and faced a whole host of challenges growing her business. Shalini is passionate about sharing her story to help women women entrepreneurs and creating environments for women and girls to kill it in life and in business. As seen in her ventures, Power Beauty Living, Ready Set Jet, and her newest venture, Ready Set Jet Academy, a social initiative to help lift women out of poverty by creating job opportunities and encouraging entrepreneurship. Shalini has worked with representatives from the United Nations to bring the art of living powerfully and beautifully to emerging women leaders, and she's also been recognized with the prestigious Mahatma Gandhi Leader. Leadership Award. Welcome to the show, Shalini. I'm super excited to be here. Well, I'm really excited to jump into your story because you have such an interesting path to entrepreneurship. And also, despite seeing so much success with your first business, there were so many things that didn't go as you expected. And I think that's important to talk about because we need to talk about the failures and the learnings. And I think there's a lot of key takeaways for women who are looking to start their own businesses and also live life on their own terms. It's definitely been a journey. (laughs) I've been on the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, but I guess that's what you sign up for as an entrepreneur. So I'm excited to share it. So let's start with your upbringing. You actually traveled quite a bit to visit family in Kenya and India, and you credit a lot of that to how you became enchanted with beauty. So I'd love to hear more about your childhood and how you think that's really impacted the journey that you're on today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think travel is the biggest gift that my parents gave me. We by no means were exceptionally wealthy or anything, but my parents somehow made these amazing trips for us as children. I had my mom's parents, my grandparents in Kenya, and then I had my dad's side of the family in India. So we'd spend every few years our summers in Kenya and every few years our winters in India. But we'd hop and skip over Singapore and Egypt as connections on our trips. And I was absolutely obsessed with the flight attendants on Singapore Airlines and Japan Airlines. And I actually remember going to ask for water. I think I was eight years old and I pulled back the curtain and like all these gorgeous flight attendants were there painting their nails. And I was like, oh my God, they're like walking Barbie dolls. I love this. And so I was just super enchanted. And then as I continued to travel and get older, just seeing like all these amazing rituals that were being performed for beauty around the world. I mean, it left such a huge impact. So really did define a huge part of my career in celebrating the diversity of the world and all these amazing cultures out there. Yeah. And what a blessing to have so much exposure at such a young age also. And one thing you've talked about in different interviews is growing up in middle school and high school, you were kind of the black sheep and you were bullied growing up. Can you take us back to that experience? Because I think that also has really shaped you as a woman today. Yeah. It's so funny you say that because I was just talking to somebody that I grew up in San Diego, blonde hair, blue eyes was the norm. You know, I grew up in a really cute surf town and I was different looking and I don't necessarily, I mean, I was really awkward growing up. I had glasses, I had braces and it was the time that you have like a headgear and (laughs) I forgot about those. (laughs) Just watch like 16 candles or something like that. And then I also had very conservative parents. So my mom's like, you're not shaving your legs. And so I was bullied like horrifically from the boys. Like, you know, you're so ugly. You're a dog. They would throw dog poo at me. They would call my mom and be like, Hey, Vic Razor's are on sale. You know, maybe you should have her shave her mustache. And it was relentless, relentless bullying. So it took such a huge hit on my self-esteem. And then, you know, as I got older and I started to bloom, I guess, and then I got bullied for the other reason of the way I looked and being, I guess, attractive. I got bullied from women. So it was just been such an interesting journey. But what came out of that for me was 
the power of self-esteem. And that's really what got me hooked into the beauty world was at 17, I got a part-time job at the clinic counter. I had no idea what I was doing, but my very first customer needed her makeup done and I was so scared. She bought two products, but the next day I got a beautiful card and bouquet of flowers from her husband saying, thank you for bringing back my wife. She has cancer. You put a smile on her face. And that was really the day I realized the power of self-esteem and how much you can transform someone's life by just giving them the ability to look and feel beautiful. That story that you mentioned of really making an impact on this woman's life, you didn't necessarily go down the path of beauty right afterwards. It's actually your life kind of makes an interesting turn, right? Your family actually encouraged you to be an entrepreneur and sent you to India with $2,500 at the age of 19. So can you take us back to that moment? Because it's definitely not a typical path that you would hear in any woman's life early on. Well, first of all, I hysterically cried on that flight to India thinking I was secretly being married off. (laughs) because I was a very rebellious teenager, just because I was fighting between trying to fit into my friends, but not making my mom and dad happy because I wasn't being this like really good Indian girl and just staying home. And, and so, you know, they used to threaten me, like, if you don't behave, we're going to marry you off or we're going to send you to a boarding school. Yeah. I heard that the boarding school one. (laughs) And so, you know, my dad told me, he's like, here's $2,500. I want you to go to India and start your own company. And I was like, but I don't want to go. And he's like, you're going to go. So I went hysterically cried on that flight thinking it was a different reason for the trip. But when I got there, my aunt and uncle were waiting for me and they're like, okay, you've got to start your own company. And so my uncles were manufacturers in North India. And I lived in a very, very active surf and golf community in San Diego. So for me, the path of least resistance was to create these really cool looking surf sweaters and golf sweaters and tops and And I sold them to a lot of the companies in San Diego and I absolutely hated it. I was like this 19 year old girl telling my uncles that we had delivery dates and they're like, oh, you know, our machines are working. The dyes bled, you know, don't worry, everything will be fine. And I'm like, no, no, I actually have like for real delivery dates that need to be met. So we can't have this like India standard time going on. And so (laughs) I did that. And then I started designing silk coats and got those Nordstrom. That's huge. I'm curious. Did you have any connections at the time being young and new in business? Gift of being young is you're fearless. So for me, I'm like, I'm just going to call everybody and do this. And then I pivoted into sterling silver and semi-precious stones, got that into Macy's, got it into the Marine Corps Depot. I loved to sell. I mean, that was one of my big things. It was just like a huge joy for me to go in and be able to show people what we were doing and then get a sale from it. It was like, wow, this is so cool. And so that was really when I started my entrepreneurial journey, but I ended up back in beauty because I loved it so much and started working, you know, back in the stores with, I launched Laura Mercier with Laura, launched Makeup Forever with Danny Sands, Smashbox with Dean and Davis Factor. So I got to work with all these amazing founders and I was so inspired. And that really put me on my path into the beauty world. And thinking about your journey, I know once you kind of jumped into the world of beauty and found your fascination there, you actually had a local TV station reach out to you to come on board and talk about beauty on TV. And that really catapulted your entire TV career. You know, people had reached out to you. You, through a lot of hustle, became hooked on wanting to talk on TV. So I know you pushed your way into studios, would drive a few hours every day to get in front of them, and eventually got booked on really incredible TV shows like Jay Leno. I know you dealt with so much rejection, especially from the makeup artists who were more senior working on these well-known shows. They weren't really respecting you or giving you the time of day. So you had to just really prove yourself and really hustle in those early days. How did you deal with all the rejection and negative commentary, whether it was with your peers or even the studios wanting to give you a shot? Because I know that entire process was not easy. I think there is a lot of bliss and ignorance, you know? And to me, the good thing and bad thing is I'm never satisfied. So in one sense, it's horrible because I live a very tortured life and the fact that I'm never satisfied. The good thing is that because I'm never satisfied, I don't listen to the no's. I don't listen to rejection. I would be dead by now if I took so much of the rejection that I've faced in my life personally. And because being an entrepreneur and then a serial entrepreneur you hear a gazillion times more no's than you hear yeses. And so I've learned to really try to tune that out and be very intuitive in my own, in my own Shalini's world, so to speak, of just saying, I'm just going to keep trying. I mean, until you tell me to go take an effing hike, 
mm-hmm. and not talk to you. I'm just going to keep trying. I mean, there is obviously that discouragement, but I think that's part of the journey. So it is that roller coaster of like, oh my God, I did it to, oh my God, they hate me to, oh my God, I did it, you know? And my life has never been like this. I don't even know what that would feel like. I think it would be <laughs> incredible exhale, but I'm daily like on this roller coaster ride every single day. And it's been that way probably for the last 25 years of my life. And so rejection is there and you just have to become so strong that it doesn't affect you personally. It's like, okay, let's try again. I'm just going to keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And I've never gone through the front door. So that's one thing about my entire journey. It's always been through a side door, a back door, the roof. You know, it's always been, how do we get in to what we want to do? Maybe through a different door, not necessarily like what everybody else is doing. And that's served me very well in my career. I love that. And I'm so glad you brought that up because it's definitely served me well in my life. I actually could do a whole podcast interview about the importance of going through the back door and figuring out new ways to get in front of people or opportunities because it is so, so true. So thinking about your story, once you kind of saw the success that you were able to create for yourself, I'm curious, were your parents supportive of you and your career? Because I know you mentioned they were more so traditional and typically in the Indian culture, you either become a doctor or engineer. I mean, I'm Middle Eastern, I'm Iranian, and stereotypically that's also the case with us. So what was their perspective of you and your success at that time? Yeah, so absolutely. So there wasn't a lot of support for me at all. I had to learn how to create my own support network. Personally, and I think I did that through music. I mean, I go back, there's still songs I hear and I'm like, oh my God, that song got me through this because I was disgracing my family. I was very much the black sheep. I'm still the black sheep of my family. And being the black sheep, you find out that you're kind of the lone wolf too, right? You're on your journey by yourself. You're not getting the support you need. My parents are finally exceptionally supportive and very excited where I've landed in my journey. But in the beginning, I was not following along as the rest of the entire community that I grew up with. I wasn't a doctor. I wasn't an engineer. I wasn't a computer scientist. You know, I wasn't like a 4.5 GPA going to like an Ivy League school. So they were very like hard on me because of that. Why do you want to do this? Why do you want to disgrace this family? So I feel like in one sense, my journey has been a fight for a lot of different areas. Like, you know, fighting against cultural norms and what's expected of me, fighting against the bullies, fighting against the rejection factor, fighting against my own limited belief system that obviously you grow up with and you are trained to think certain things. And then as you get older, you're like, well, that doesn't really serve me. So it's been this like battle of me and what I know is my purpose and what I want to do versus what everyone around me is expecting me to do. Absolutely. Your tribe is so important. And like you said, it might not be the friends you grew up with or the family around you. But fortunately, we're in an environment where there's so many communities online, so many ways to meet up with different kinds of people to really build that support system. And that's a lot of what you've been doing in your life now is just really giving back and creating that space for women to really thrive in business. So I want to talk a bit more about your experience working on TV. I know through a lot of different connections, getting in front of an agent, really proving yourself, you actually ended up booking on the CBS early show in New York City when you were living in LA. I want to bring that up because I think that opportunity was really pivotal in helping you kind of frame what your next business was. So I would love for you to share more about that experience in your life. Yeah, absolutely. So I was booked on the CBS early show in New York City. They were flying me up, putting me up in this incredible suite at the Here Hotel getting me wardrobe. And I was like, Oh my God, is this really happening? And I started doing segments on like holiday makeup looks from office to office party. And then in true New York form, I would say in about six months later, the senior producer came up to me and she was like, why the F am I flying you out here? First class. I'm putting you up in a suite. I'm paying for your wardrobe. Like what makes you so different than anyone here in New York that I could just have on the show and not even have to pay them? And I was stunned. I was like, whoa, like, first of all, I'm from San Diego, so we don't talk like that. (laughs) We're like, hey, let's get a taco and go to the beach. We're not like, why the hard? And so uh, (laughs) so I was a little taken aback. And then I just looked at her and I said, you know, America's the greatest melting pot in the world. We're creating all these beautiful skin tones minute by minute. And Indian women have traffic stopping shiny hair. Chinese women never age. Brazilian women have these amazing bodies. 
And it's not genetics. It's all these amazing beauty secrets that I've learned from traveling the world. And they're really cool. And she's like, great, you're going to do multicultural beauty and you're going to do global beauty secrets. And so I started doing that and it hit. And then I worked on every syndicated talk show you could imagine, became a spokesperson for Nike, Veet, Olay, Chapstick, I mean, you name it. And then finally was offered a book deal to write a book on all these amazing beauty secrets I had learned from around the world. And that got me traveling the world for two years, best two years of my life, meeting the most incredible women. I mean, literally stalking women on the streets of like wherever I was to find out what their beauty secrets were. And while I was writing my book, I met Kimora and Russell Simmons, attorneys and managers at the time. And they're like, you're not going to make a dime on your book. You need to start a brand. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be like the 49th celebrity makeup artist on the market. And this guy was like, figure it out. And I'm like, okay. So at like two o'clock in the morning, I'm like, let me do some of these secrets from my, that I've been learning from my travels. And he's like, great, let's go to a lab. And I remember sitting in this lab and it was his uncle's lab. So it worked out. And I'm like, I want to do coconut amla henna, blah, 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 blah. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? We've never heard of these ingredients. And we figured it out. And then that kind of QVC, I was a spokesperson for another brand. I was selling out shows. So they called me and they said, hey, we heard you're starting your own brand. We want you on QVC. And this was a time where you were either QVC or you were Sephora. You weren't both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't want to be on QVC. Like, I'm going to be a premium brand, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, we don't care. We're coming to New York. We're going to meet you. And I was so like against this meeting. I didn't bring any sound. I brought nothing. I brought like a little piece of paper with 10 beauty secrets. So I'm like, these are my beauty secrets. They're like, great. We're <laughs> thousand pieces of this. And I'm like, okay. So we were officially in business. And then within a few weeks, I got a call from Sephora saying, hey, we want to meet you. So I flew to San Francisco, met with Sephora. And then we were on our way to launching my first brand. Incredible. And I'm sure some people might be thinking, oh my goodness, Shalini, everything has worked out for her. If somebody looks at your resume, it looks pretty incredible. But I do have some theories about that. I think you've done a really good job putting yourself out there. And the more you do that, the more opportunities come your way. And obviously, you need to support that with hard work. But I'm curious, from your perspective, looking back on your life, what would you attribute your success to? I mean, I don't want to say I'm fearless. But for some reason, I've always known that there's an invisible net that's going to catch me. Like, and I didn't really, really tap into my spiritual side, I think, until about 2011 and then really, really intensely in 2015. And when I was struck by lightning, I mean, a Korean master is really when I had a massive spiritual awakening. But for some reason, I've always just had this innate sense inside of me that what's the worst thing that can happen? It's kind of like if you don't ask, it's always going to be no. That was kind of my philosophy. Like, you know what? So I fall on my ass. I fall on my ass. I got boys bullying me. I've got women bullying me. Like, you know, what? what's the worst that can happen at this point? I fail, I fail, but at least I tried. And I've always had the philosophy that I'd much rather regret the things that I did versus the things that I didn't do. I don't want to be 75 looking back on my life saying, you know, I should have at least tried. So that's always been a big driving factor to me. Do I scare the shit out of myself regularly? All the time. Do the point where I make myself physically sick and I'm up all night just torturing myself? 100%. If it doesn't scare you, you're not growing. You have to put yourself in those situations. Absolutely. And I would say that's a pretty common theme in a lot of these interviews that I've done in terms of these self-made women entrepreneurs like yourself. They say yes to opportunities that might scare them, right? They put themselves in that situation and they really rise to the occasion despite being nervous. And, you know, if you really think about it, what's the worst thing that can happen? It's really not as bad as you always think. I mean, for me, I think the times that I've fallen on my ass, the worst thing has been people that you thought were friends and that you've been really loyal to actually getting a lot of joy seeing you fall on your ass. I think for me, that was like the most hurtful part of my journey. People really getting glee and joy out of me not being able to accomplish certain things, which was also a huge surprise and a massive loss of innocence. Because, you know, when you're raised a certain way that everything's in good faith and you're loyal, you realize that whatever values you have aren't necessarily the values other people have. So for me, I think that was the biggest, most hurtful thing 
in my journey, but failing for me, I don't care. At least I know I tried. <laughs> I was like, we'll try again. We'll try it this way. It goes back to fine. If, if I'm going to fail going through the front door, then I'm going to find a side door or a window or a hatch on the roof to go through. And it always works out. Yeah. I agree. If there's a will, there's a way for sure. So, so you started this new brand, you got into QVC. So for us calling you, you have some good retailers kind of lined up. I would love to hear more about the early days and know you self-funded for a certain period of time. You know, you got the company to at least over 20 million, which is a huge, huge deal. What did it look like in the early days when you got all these orders and your company was so fresh? It was exhilarating. I mean, I was like, such on such a high. But at the same time, I was climbing Mount Everest with certain people around me throwing rocks and with a water hose trying to push me back down. So it was a matter of fighting through that and just being really focused. But I was doing everything out of my garage. I mean, I think the biggest joke was that we were this global brand. Everyone thought we were this huge brand. And meanwhile, I was sitting on the floor in my garage and San Diego with my neighbors coming over to help me like label things for the UK market, (laughs) you know, and like boxing things ourselves. And I remember I was training all the Sephora's on my own and I was flying all over and my attorney from New York called and he's like, how are you? And I'm like, I'm going to freaking die. Like I'm going to physically break. Like I don't have the bandwidth for this, but I was so determined to just do it and be successful that I just pushed and pushed and pushed. So the early days were very much out of the garage with my neighbors. Actually, there are a lot of my neighbors were like moms and they would just walk over and they'd be like, Hey, do you need some help? And I'd be like, yes, please. (laughs) I need need any help I can get right now. And some of those women ended up becoming full-time employees. They're still with me and they were just phenomenal, phenomenal support in helping me reach my goals. That's great to hear because on the flip side, there are a lot of entrepreneurs who might get that traction, but don't have the resources, the team or the capital to really meet that demand. And in your case, you were completely self-funded. I'm sure it was tough to even hire anybody full time to work with you. But what was your funding situation like and where were you spending your money at the time? No, I mean, everything was going into distribution and supporting. I mean, Sephora was very capital intensive. You were having to build out these big installations in the store every quarter. You were having to change and update it per their requests and regulations. You were having to create new product every quarter. You were having to train every store. You were having to gratis product to every employee. I mean, it was exceptionally capital intensive for a small, independent, self-funded brand. Same thing with QVC. You're flying to Pennsylvania and they're ordering thousands and thousands of pieces And let's say there's another brand ahead of you that is maybe a house brand that's doing really well. They'll cut into your airtime. And so maybe you won't sell through all those pieces. So then they return them and you've got to unpack them because they've got to be packed a certain way just for QVC. So you're doing everything you can to really run the company lean. But I was also out there trying to fundraise, never met a woman, never met a woman, never met a woman in a boardroom, never met a woman in a funding room. And it was nothing but, hey, you want to fly on my jet? You know, we can close the deal over crepes in Paris. Hey, you want to party on my yacht? I mean, these are like institutional investors, Deutsche Bank introducing me to some of their investment pool and these guys trying to kiss me in the middle of a funding. I mean, it was just unbelievably discouraging and disgusting. And I could write an entire book called The Roadshow to Hell of what it was like to to fundraise during that time when there was no resources for women, no startup grinds, no social media, no support networks for women. And it was just crazy. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. I mean, you definitely hear stories and the hope is that things are definitely changing. More women are now involved, but we still have so much, so much to go. So you've talked about how you tried to fundraise. You were in all these situations. At what point did you actually end up finding someone? Because I know you ended up partnering with someone when you guys were a little bit bigger. So can you kind of talk through that deal and that partnership? I had a development deal with NBC. So I was a spokesperson at that time iVillage. So I was doing the Today Show every two weeks. I was doing, before digital content was digital content, I was doing a show called About Face, which was a really cute makeover show. And so I got a deal with NBC to do a show on my book. And I was kind of in that NBC family. So I remember going to one of my champions there saying, I cannot raise money because 
all these guys just have an agenda behind these meetings. I need your help. And so he introduced me to someone that introduced me to someone. And it was a good lesson, actually the life lesson of just not going against your gut. I had a really not a good gut feeling, walked away within a few months, they came back and we were now launching on HSN. And, you know, the attorney at the time was like, just take the money. Like you need to grow. You're in the middle of massive acceleration of your brand. And so I did. And I knew that this was the wrong partner and wrong person to take money from, but I did. And it was a really shitty situation. And I appreciate you being so open about that. And I know in another interview, you also talked about at that moment in your life too, while you were trying to grow this business, you were also going through a divorce. So do you think that moment of your life that might've pushed you to even accept the money? Or can you kind of talk about how you were feeling at the time? Yeah. You know, I was going through divorce. So just word of advice for everybody, like don't do major things when you're going through something major as well. But, you know, we had, we had this huge opportunity with HSN that was, above and beyond bigger than what we were doing with QVC. We knew we had to fund that. I had tried my hardest going out there and fundraising and just not getting, not being taken seriously, maybe because we were in the beauty industry. And so a lot of these institutional investors didn't understand that lipstick was lipstick. And most businesses in beauty are still run by men. They're not, you know, thankfully now we're starting to see a lot more with female founders And so the divorce did have a little bit to do with it, but it was also like, okay, I got to get on with my life and I've got to get on with this business. And we're sitting on a huge opportunity. We've got to take this money or we're not going to be able to fulfill the orders and make this thing happen with HSN. So yeah, it was bad timing from a divorce standpoint, but the timing we needed to do it no matter what in order to get this next stage of our company going. And you talked about how in your gut, it never felt like the right deal. And I believe it was your lawyer or someone close to you said, well, listen, Shalini, you're going to be the chairman of the board. You're going to have final say in whatever happens. And it didn't pan out that way. Can you kind of walk through the structure of that and what you thought was going to happen and what didn't end up happening? Again, it goes back to, I'm really, really very much a huge champion of do your own due diligence. I meet so many female founders that are like, oh my God, I'm getting funded, but they want like 51%, but I'm under this. And they told me it's going to be okay. And it's like, well, no, actually, I think you should just do a little bit more due diligence to see if it is really what they're saying it's going to be. So what I was told was not actually what was the case. So chairman's great, but then if there's other things that are involved in the deal that are kind of like hidden little terms that you weren't told about by your attorney or even like understood because you're a young, naive entrepreneur building this amazing brand, it does come back to bite you. I'm sure. And I know there was at one point when these investors came on board, you were very lean, very resourceful getting this brand to over 20 million. I believe at some point they brought in more of a corporate sense and we're spending like 70 grand on like rebranding and all these superfluous numbers. But what was that experience like? Because I believe when you guys were spending all that money at the time, you were also hitting in a recession. So can you take us back to that moment? Because I'm sure that was a whole nother experience for you. Well, that was the market crashed. And so it hit everybody, but we were determined to survive and we had really good relationships with our retailers. It has been interesting and it's actually worked well. I think when you go through experiences like this as an entrepreneur, and then you go on to start different companies or in your career, the wisdom is the biggest gift of all. So, you know, what I learned from that was culture clash. We were still a startup. And when you start bringing in people that aren't from the startup mentality, that come from a very massive, massive thousand pound gorilla corporate culture, things don't necessarily jive. And so that was the immediate thing we realized is, oh my God, we've got a massive culture clash going on. Then some of the corporate that was brought in were treating our female buyers like shit. And they were being escorted off of the set of HSN because they were just not treating all these relationships that I had worked so hard to develop and nurture well. And so for me, I was like, oh my God, what is going on? This is, this is not what I created. This is not the culture I created. This is not the environment that is serving my team and my employees really well. We had a phenomenal group of women that were working for us and, and gentlemen as well. And it was just making everybody really unhappy. And, and what's so interesting is That stuck in my head so much that with the new company, I literally hired and fired somebody within a week 
as they were starting to shift the culture, I was literally seeing my team go from smiles to frowns. And I'm like, this is not going to work. So let's just nip it in the butt now. And so again, it goes back to really honing those muscles in business. And as a person that you start to realize, okay, this previous experience took us into a direction that didn't work for anybody because it changed the entire corporate culture. And we're never letting that happen again. That must have been really tough that your company was your baby and you brought it to such scale. And now you have these new people completely changing the culture, completely changing the identity, especially in a recession when things are already really tough. At what point, I know you ended up deciding to exit the business, but what really prompted you to make that decision? Because I'm sure it was so tough to leave something that you built with your blood, sweat and tears. But what really drove you to leave the company? There was an enormous amount of inappropriate behavior. I'm under a confidentiality, so I can't talk a lot about it, but it was to the point where it was not only affecting me, but it was going to start affecting other people. And I needed to put an end to it. That's when I decided that I'm not going to be in this situation anymore. When I did have to make that very difficult and devastating decision. And so that's really what happened with the brand. And it was, it devastated me because it was my baby. I didn't have a baby. I had a brand. Absolutely. I can't even imagine how tough that was for you to be managing these difficulties in your business, but also dealing with everything that you were going through at the same time. I'm sure that was such a difficult moment in your life. And at that point, you actually decided to exit the business. I know there are so many silver linings looking back now, but going back to that moment, how are you feeling I was pissed. I was so pissed because I did go against my gut. So I was, I was upset with myself. At the time, I laughed and I was obviously sad, but I was really angry that there was this massive feeling of injustice. But of course, when you go back on your journey and you look back with hindsight's twenty twenty, I can look back now with massive gratitude because the lessons I learned were not only business lessons, but they were massive life lessons. I mean, that that whole experience was a master teacher in itself. Here I wanted to empower women. How could I empower women living in my little bubble in San Diego, not going through anything? You know, I had to go through the fire of abuse and, you know, all this kind of, this all this stuff that you go through that you're like, okay, now I can go empower women because I've been through hell and back. I get what they're going through. And I'm going to tell you how I was able to come out of what I came out of. And it, so it actually was, it needed to happen for me to be where I am in my career today. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And I know at that point, you didn't necessarily know how you were going to empower women and make a difference. And you went through a few very interesting spiritual experiences, which I would love for you to talk more about because it really gave you that clarity for this stage in your life that you're in right now of giving back and making a difference. Yeah. So I had a lot of weird things happen to me. I mean, first of all, I moved to LA. (laughs) So maybe it's because I was in the city of angels that I started having these crazy experiences. And some people, you know, when I tell them, they're like, oh, that's such an LA story. And I'm like, no, it's actually for real. This stuff happened. You know, I started having just, I, I can't even go into like how crazy some of these experiences were, but I think the most life-changing experience is I was up in LA now and I was like desperately in need of like the yoga that I was doing in San Diego, which was not just physical, but it was very mental, right? It was a lot of meditation and things that could really help you clear your mind. In LA, there was nothing like that. Everything was like core yoga, power yoga, hot yoga, have a hot body yoga. And I'm like, no, I need to have a hot mind yoga. So so I ended up stumbling into this Korean yoga and it was life-changing. I mean, absolutely life-changing. It was brainwave vibration meditation. It was tapping stress. It was like self-healing, like you're almost doing Reiki on yourself. And I remember starting these classes and by the end of 90 minutes, I was like, oh my God, I feel so incredible. And the town master said to me one day, she's like, hey, our master's coming from Korea. Do you want to meet him? We never ask other students, but, you know, kind of been through hell. So like, why don't we, why don't, why don't you do it for you and like learn a little bit more? And so I said, well, can I actually meet him? Can I interview him? I want to write my next book and like his modalities and practices have been utterly life-changing for me. And like more people need to know about this. She's like, well, he doesn't really do interviews, Shalini. So let me see what we can do. So my husband and I went to the event. It was great. He'd just written a book on all this energy work in Sedona and whatnot. And afterwards they said, okay, he'll see you. And I was like, oh, okay. So we got to go in this other room. They had prepared a really beautiful tea for us. 
And he didn't speak English, so he had a translator with him. And so I said, oh, it's such an honor to meet you. First of all, I had no idea he's one of the top 15 spiritual leaders in the world. Wow. Presidents and prime ministers wait to meet this guy. I'm just like, hi, can I write a book about (laughs) You know, and so I was like, I just want to kind of showcase some of your modalities that have helped me. And he was very stern. And he's like, why are you writing this book? Why do you want to use my modalities? Are you going to credit me? And I was very taken aback. I was like, wow. And so I kind of told him what had happened and he threw his head back and he laughed like it was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. And my husband said, it's not funny. She was really devastated. And he looked at me and he's like, no, it's opportunity for you. And then he asked if he could bless me. So of course, you know, being Indian, I was like, yeah, I'll take a blessing. (laughs) I'll take a blessing. (laughs) You know, my mom raised me to like appreciate all religions and spirituality. So I was like, absolutely. So I remember him putting his hand on my head and blessing me and saying, it's my intention and Mother Earth's intention. You're going to change the world through beauty, but you already know that. Now, I thought it was a kind of an interesting blessing at the time. I'm like, and then he left. And then all the other Korean guests were like crying and wanting to touch me because apparently he doesn't bless that many people. So I didn't know what was going on at the time. I was like, okay, that was great. I got to meet this guy. Amazing. Continued on with my practice. Fast forward a few years later, I remember just still being like, I've got this monkey on my back. Like, I know I'm moving forward in my career, but like, it doesn't have that excitement that I had when I was building my first brand. Like, and I remember going to do a yoga class and I had a vision of him and it was so clear. I was, I remember telling my husband, I'm like, it's so weird. I was like, he was in front of me, all the yoga I was doing, he was doing it with me. I just don't, I don't even know what that is. The next day, my phone started ringing at 4.30 in the morning and I didn't recognize the number, so I didn't answer it. And then about like 8.30 in the morning, I get a call and it's a woman saying, you know, guys come to my house at 4.30 this morning. He said, he tapped into your energy. Your purpose is coming at the speed of light. He needs to see you. So I'm like, great. I would yeah, Can you call me? <laughs> God, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. And she goes, okay, you need to come now. And I'm like thinking it's LA. So I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Where? And what's the address? And she's like, Sedona. I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) You want me to come to Sedona, Arizona now? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, I can't do that. I've got meetings. I have a birthday party tonight. You know? (laughs) (laughs) She's like, don't be an idiot. Like, this guy's going to work with you and he wants to see you. And so I remember my husband was taking his daughter to school. And so I called him and I'm like, I need to go to Sedona. And he was like, cool, catch a flight, fly to Phoenix, go to Sedona. And I'm like, no, I need you to come with me. And he's like, you know, you've had like the weirdest things happen to you over the last few years. He's like, I don't know. He goes, you just go. And I'm like, no, I feel really compelled to drive. And he's like, Shalini, it's a 10 hour drive. And I'm like, I know, but I just feel like we have to drive. I'm going to pack you a bag. Just when you get home, be ready to go. And so he agreed. He goes, fine, I'll go with you. But when I get there, it's all you. I have nothing. I'm going to work. I'm like, okay. So we drove and we started on our drive and, and it was a beautiful drive. I mean, the clouds were like every color you could imagine. And the next thing I know, we're in this amazing, beautiful electrical storm, which took me back to my days of being a child and visiting Kenya. Cause we'd always have these like 5 PM dry lightning storms that were just stunning And here we are in the same thing. And so I pull out my phone and I'm I'm recording videos of this incredible lightning. And next thing I know, our car gets struck. (laughs) And my husband's like, oh my God, we got struck. And, And meanwhile, because my phone was plugged into the car, it conducted the charge. Now being from San Diego, I didn't know you're not supposed to like hold a cell phone up in a lightning storm. Yeah, I didn't know that. (laughs) Now I know. And I just start feeling this very hot acid crawling through my body. And I'm like, oh my God, this ow, ow, ow. And so we pull over, people are, you know, pulling over to make sure we're okay. And my face is kind of drooping and not moving on my left side. I'm having a lot of pain in my left hand and leg and foot. And I'm not able to like really put a sentence together. And so everyone's like, you know, we got to get you to the hospital. And I'm just looking at my husband and I'm like, I feel like I'm going to throw up, but we've got to get to Sedona. (laughs) Like we just need to go. Like, I don't want to go to a hospital right now. They're waiting for us. It's already like 8 PM. We still have three more hours on this drive. Let's just go. And I go, if I feel horrible, we'll call an ambulance. And so we just continue to drive to Sedona and we're we're in a massive storm And we get there and by the time the Korean master comes, he looks at me and he's like, do you know why I called you here? And I said, yes, to charge 
And I start laughing because I literally just got this electrical charge. And he said, yes, that was for you. That was for your brain. Everything you've gone through in your life, you've done to yourself and you know exactly why. And I'm like, oh my God, I would never have done this to myself ever, ever, ever. I've been like, just put through the ringer. You know, I've had the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. And he's just got a smile on his face. And he's like, yeah, no, you did it to yourself. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I would never, never, never. So he looks at my husband and my husband's like, oh, you know, this is all you guys. <laughs> I'm going to sit over here. He looks at my husband and he's like, I need you to take her after sunset and before sunrise. I need you to hike to this mountain. Just listen, feel the energy. So he gives me four things to do. And he looks at me and he goes, the fifth thing's your homework. You'll know at the end of the weekend. So we hike and I don't hike and I definitely don't hike in the dark, but we did. And I was scared shitless. I mean, I was so scared, but I got an incredible message and I don't know to this day who the message is from. I don't know if it was God. I don't know if it was my soul. I don't know if it was the mountain I was looking at. I don't know who it came from, but it was clear as day of everything I had gone through from the day I was born to that present day. By the time we left, I knew without a doubt that I had to empower women on a much deeper level than lipstick and mascara. It was clear as day. And that was my homework. And you've done a great job with that because every business and everything that you're involved in right now is all about fundamentally supporting and empowering women in many different aspects. Looking back at that incredible experience that you went through, is there any takeaways that you implement in your life right now or that you want to share with our listeners? I mean, positive mind is positive life, right? And I think for a lot of people, we can get stuck in these like stories we tell ourselves that are like doom and gloom, worst case scenarios, you know, mental health is such a huge, huge situation that's going on, especially this year with COVID. I've been speaking a lot on mental health all over the world through virtual webinars and all. And I think we forget that we have the power to change our story. There's been a number of times where I've been facing situations or adversities where I could sit there and be like, oh, this is horrible. I mean, this is just the worst thing ever. It's not going to work, blah, 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 blah. But when you understand that you actually control your energy, right? So you have the ability to go in there and change the story of your life. And I do that a lot with walking. I mean, nature is very healing. That was another thing that came from Sedona. You're in nature. I mean, if I always say if Mother Earth and God had a baby, it would be Sedona because it's just so powerful from an energetic standpoint. It's so beautiful from just how gorgeous this earth can be. And you realize that nature is very healing. And so what I do is I like to take a walk and I use the sky as my movie screen. And I tell people, use the sky as your movie screen and you become the director, the producer, the actor of the movie of your life, of what you want that to be. And when you start to really shift your focus from the negative into positive, you really do start to manifest those things. And it does take a lot of mindfulness to do that because it's very easy to go into the best pity. I've been known to throw myself the most incredible pity parties with chocolate cake and you know whatnot. And it's like, how do you get out of that? So that was a really big learning experience for me. Positive mind equals positive life. You have the absolute 100% control over the story you're telling yourself. The other thing is detachment, the art of non-attachment. I didn't really learn that until after Sedona because you do become very attached to stories, situations, people, and being able to learn to take yourself again, mindfully out of a situation and observe it no different than you're observing a red car driving down the road you're able to really shift your perspective. And with that, I'll go into another great learning that came out of that was to change your attitude, you need to change your altitude. So let's say you're training to climb Mount Everest and you've spent now the last three years in intense training. And as you're going up the hill, you twist your ankle. And so you're like, oh my God, I worked this hard and I twisted my ankle. This is the most horrible thing that's ever happened to me. Now change your altitude and go from above and look down, what you don't see is around the corner, there's a snake that's going to bite you and you're going to die. And so you're able to have a better perspective and shift things that are happening in your life by being able to just look at it from different angles versus just being so attached and so, you know, in the moment. And so those are a couple lessons that I've learned through holding these retreats of igniting your infinite potential, unleashing your inner hero, like all these things to make you your best self that 
are day-to-day practices that you can easily incorporate in your routine that really help you kind of navigate those narrows in life that give you the power and strength to move forward. That's so beautiful. And I completely agree with that. And I think that's something that all the women listening on our podcast right now can easily incorporate every single day of their life. And like you said, which is so powerful, you're the director, the producer, the writer of your own story, right? So instead of thinking about worst case scenario, think about what could happen, like play it in your mind. And I know that's been a huge thing that you've done in your life and really thinking about what could come of things versus the worst case scenario, which our mind easily can opt into. Not letting someone else dictate your story. That happens a lot. You, you see women all the time. Well, my husband this, my boyfriend that, my boss this, my that. It's like, that's going to be part of life. But at the end of the day, it's all up to you. How you want to shape that situation in your mind is what's going to give you the ability to go out there and really thrive. Yes, absolutely. And I want to pick your brain on what you think, as someone who mentors so many women entrepreneurs and founders, what do you think are key mistakes that they're making in their business? Yeah, I think there's no reason, especially now with so many resources, you know, there's startup grind. I mean, there's things that you can look on the internet. There's people you can reach out to on LinkedIn. And for me uh, this year, Twitter has been the absolute best networking ever. I think, again, women tend to be a little bit more trusting. So there's a lot of young female founders that reach out to me saying, oh my God, I'm finally getting funded. And, but I'm like, but what are the governance? You know, like, that's great. You're getting funded and maybe you even own the majority of your company, but have you looked at the governance issues of who's really controlling the company? What's going on behind the scenes? Really making sure that you've got knowledge. Knowledge is power. If there's something you don't understand, there's never been a better time to reach out to someone. You have access to anyone in the world right now and saying, Hey, can I have 30 minutes of your time for advice? You know, if they say no, fine, reach out to somebody else. I would say nine times out of 10, most people say yes. People do like to help other people. So that's one of the things. The other thing is really creating a like-minded tribe. You know, friends are great, but not every friend's going to support you on your journey. Not every person in your family is going to understand your journey. So it's really important to find people that are like-minded, that are going to be able to not only help you with needs and leads, but be your support group. I mean, I have the most incredible group of women that I have met that I can call at any time. I can send a text to at any time and I know they're going to show up for me. And that's really, really important as a woman to have that network. And then also just mentors. Mentors are great. And there are more and more people out there that are willing to do that. And just really finding people in whatever area of your life you want to be better at, whether it's personal, whether it's professional, finding someone that you admire, that you look up to, that's maybe done it, killed it and succeeded or are just two steps ahead of you. It doesn't matter. They're in it with you. Right. And being able to go to them and have that kind of outlet for advice and feedback. That is so crucial and so key. Even in my life, mentorship has been huge and continues to be huge. I get a lot of women asking me, where do I start? I don't have any mentors. I don't even know where to begin. As someone who I'm sure gets hit up all the time to be a mentor, what advice do you have for women who are looking to create that community or find someone that can help them on their journey? Well, first of all, there's no stupid question. Let's just get away from this whole, like, we live in a society where our sense of reality is so skewed by social media that people don't want to show up authentically for fear of being judged, right? And I think that you just got to put that aside. Be authentic, ask a question. There's really no stupid question. And if you've got the right mentors, they're going to understand that and they're not going to be like, oh, that's the dumbest question I've ever heard. They're going to be like, okay, this is it. You know, I have found phenomenal female and male mentors. I don't want to discount men because there's a lot of phenomenal men in my life that have been absolutely just incredible in helping me with their expertise that they bring in. So, you know, there's no silly question. Again, like I'm going to go back to Twitter. I have personally gone and reached out for people to mentor me on Twitter and I've received it. No questions asked, hands down. In the same guys, I've had a lot of women reach out to me asking me for mentorship and I've paid it forward the same way I set aside, you know, 30 minutes to an hour a week to mentor female founders and women in business. And because of this year in particular with the pandemic, when we launched and started creating Ready, Set, Jet, 
it's always been mission driven from the beginning. And we were really focusing on these girls that were in marginalized communities. But what's happened this year is that we've had so many women reach out to me saying, I lost my job, Shalini. I don't necessarily want to be an entrepreneur, but I want to learn how to be self-sufficient or I need to learn something new or I want to meet more women that are going through what I'm going through. And so because of that, we added an online academy to really expand the impact. So we're in beta right now, but we are getting ready to launch the Ready, Set, Jet Academy, which is not only courses that will skill and certify you in different areas of professionalism, but we also have experientials and we have a community where you can literally create your own tribes of people based on interests, whether it's travel, whether it's beauty, whether it's empowerment, whether it's wellness, you have the ability to create those tribes. And every single member is that like-minded area in that type of mindset. In addition to that, that is where we will be providing that one-on-one mentorship for our community. Because at the end of the day, beauty is so much more than skin deep, right? It is looking good, feeling good, doing your best, being your best, being happy, having this ability and this toolkit so you can go out there and just thrive. And so we've made that a really big part of Ready, Set, Jet, this community-driven kind of educational technology that we're adding. That's something that's going to launch quickly. And I would love to invite your viewers and listeners to join and just I'll send a free code so they don't have to pay just so they have that opportunity to have that mentorship and a very strong community that's going to support them in whatever mission and goals they have to reach. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to sharing more. We'll definitely add details in our show notes. And Shalni, thank you so much for spending the day with us and sharing your story and all the incredible wisdom that you've learned along the way. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. And I hope to see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.